0: hey it's greg stanley if you're listening to this podcast you know i love everything automotive this passion has expanded to include being a car specialist consultant for rm sotheby's so if you need assistance buying or consigning a collector car at any one of our online or live auctions including scottsdale amelia island or monterey you can reach one of our car specialists at rmsotheby's.com or you can email me directly at gstanley at rmsotheby's.com This is the Collector Car Podcast, the home for the auto enthusiast. Join Greg Stanley as he applies over 25 years of insights and analytical experience to the collector car market. He will interview the experts and throw in some fun stuff as well. Hey everyone, it's Greg Stanley with the Collector Car Podcast. I'd like to thank RM Sotheby's for being the primary sponsor of this podcast. They're the reason that this thing is on every week and gets shared with a large group of auto enthusiasts. So thanks so much to RM Sotheby's. For this episode, we are covering blue chip Ferraris and the market trends. So what is a blue chip Ferrari? Well, blue chip is defined as a car. That is considered to be a reliable investment, though less secure than stock and of the highest quality. So we never promote cars as investments, but it's a great way to look at them to see what they've done in the marketplace over the last few years. Now for this episode, I am focusing on pre-1970 Ferraris. The main reason is I wanted to focus in on the quote-unquote classic collectible Ferraris and not necessarily the more modern supercars. Now, if you look post-1970, some of the blue-chip collector cars or collector Ferraris would be the 288 GTO, the F40, the F50, the Enzo, the LaFerrari, the modern version of the GTO, etc. So, we are basically focusing on everything prior to 1970. Now, I'm also limiting my list to the Ferraris whose values can be found in Hagerty's Valuation Results. So this does not include any Ferraris from 1948 to 1953, which those are extremely rare and they are not in the database. Now, like I said before, I'm using Haggerty's valuation results and for the purposes of this podcast, I'm using cars that are in condition number one, as I find that that shows the largest variances over the years. But before we get into the market trends, I want to review a few of the cars that I'll be covering here. This is uh, from the descriptions in Haggerty's Evaluation Tools. And the first one I'm covering is the 1954 to 1955 Ferrari 250 Europa. Now, the Ferrari 250 was the company's bread and butter model during the 1950s. It took on many forms for both road and track and helped establish Ferrari's reputation as the maker of some of the best, fastest, and prettiest cars in the world. The Ferrari 250 Europa was the first production car to carry the 250 name which refer to the displacement of each of the car's 12 cylinders. Now, these traditionally trade in the $1.5 to $3.5 million range. Now, the next Ferrari in my list, is the 1955 to 1958 Ferrari 410 Super America. The Ferrari America series of models served as the company's top-of-the-range large grand Turismos during the 1950s and 1960s. The series began at the beginning of the 1950s, but it was the 410 Super America introduced in 1955, that was the most powerful road-going Ferrari of the decade. The model was produced in Series 1, Series 2, and Series 3 configurations. The standard price for one was nearly $17,000 at a time when a Corvette cost a little over three dollars Since the 410 Super America was an extremely expensive car bought by celebrities, industrialists, and even royalty, there are small differences in each example as each car was catered to the taste of its buyer. The bodywork also varies with each car. The V12 was now up to 5.0 liters, not the Mustang 5.0, and made well over 300 horsepower, which allowed for a top speed of up to around 160 miles per hour, depending on gearing. With greater low end torque and larger dimensions, the 410 Super America was more suited to around-town driving and long-distance touring than the high-revving 250 model. These typically trade from $2.2 million to $2.8 million. The next one is one of my favorites, the 1956 to 1959 Ferrari 250 GT. TDF, also known as Tour de France. Ferrari never actually named his 250 GT Gran Turismo of 1956 to 1959 the Tour de France. The public took care of that after the Model won four straight victories in a celebrated 3,600-mile race. In fact, all of Ferrari's series production Berlinettas, none matched the competition record of this TDF as it became known. Introduced at the 1956 Geneva Motor Show, This dual-purpose road race model won more races than either of its successors, the 250 short wheelbase and the 250 GTO, which is shocking because the GTO is by far the most valued car of all time. Fitted only with two-barrel carburetors, it was aimed at the new GT category, which the FIA hoped would be less dangerous than the rules, which resulted in the 1955 Le Mans 24-hour disaster. Now, the Tour de France TDF typically... Trade for five to eight million dollars. The next car is the 1957 to 1958 Ferrari 250 Testarossa, one of the most beautiful cars of all time. The Ferrari 250 Testarossa was the successor to the Monza series of race cars. Its name translates to "Redhead," which refers to the red-painted valve covers on the three-liter V12 engine, which, in the case of the 250 Testarossa, was fed by six Weber carburetors. The Testarossa was used as Ferrari's top-level entry in international endurance racing since the FIA had placed a limit of 3-liter displacement on prototypes. While the factory campaigned a handful of Testarossas, Ferrari intended for the car to be campaigned by privateers in both Europe and North America. As a result, it was not overly complex and emphasized ruggedness and reliability over technical complexity. That's not to say the Testarossa wasn't fast, however. It led Ferrari in points to the World Sports Car Championship in 1958, 1960, and 1961 after losing out to Aston Martin in 1959, which I believe Carroll Shelby beat them in an Aston Martin in 1959, which is actually at the very beginning of the movie Ford vs. Ferrari. Ferrari won 24 hours of Le Mans in each of these years as well, with an iteration of the Testarossa winning again in 1962 and becoming the last front-engine car to win the race. These typically trade between $22 $30 million. Ouch. Okay, the next one is, like I said before, the most iconic Ferrari of all time, the Ferrari GTO, built from 1962 to 1964. Considered by many to be the best and most beautiful sports car in the world, the Ferrari 250 GTO is also one of the rarest and most desirable. The last front-engine sports racing car that was competitive on the world stage, the GTO was billed to the FIA as a continuation of the 250 short wheelbase, SWB, and its legendary initial stand for Gran Turismo Omologato. 100 cars were required for homologation for the Grand Touring Competition, but only 36 were constructed with, with an additional three, 330 GTOs, the same car with a 4-liter V12, meaning that Ferrari was indeed able to convince the FIA that the GTO was an evolution of the SWB short wheelbase. Seven of the 250 GTOs were clothed in Series 2 bodywork that had a lower, flatter look and tunnel back roof. It was more aerodynamic, but it didn't have the iconic look of the original cars. These trade between 50 and $80 million. The most recent one to sell publicly was in, I think, 2017 at RM Sotheby's, I want to say Monterey sale. It was a Series 2 car. That sold for $48 million and currently resides here in Cincinnati. And we actually have two GTOs here in Cincinnati of the 39. I believe the last one to trade privately was one that sold for $70 million to the guy that runs WeatherTech. Now, if one were to come up today, I think there's pent-up demand at this point. Uh, One of the heirs of Walmart owns two. I think that whenever another one shows up, it will probably break the $80 million mark if it's a Series 1 car. Okay, the next one is the 1964 to 1965 Ferrari 250LM. With an all-up weight of 19, less than 1,900 pounds and a five-speed transmission, the 250LM was capable of 183 miles per hour, though it didn't have a speedometer. Its performance matched the fastest GTOs, and it offered the traction braking, courtesy of four-wheel disc brakes, road holding, and handling of a Formula One racer. The 250LM, they trade between $22 and $30 million and 30000000 dollars All right, the next one's a 1964 to 1968 Ferrari 275 GTB. Surely near the top of every Ferrari enthusiast's wish list is the gorgeous 275 GTB and 275 GTS. Ferrari showed this successor to the 250 series at the Paris Salon in 1964. While the 3.3 liter V12 was familiar, its layout was new. The Ferrari 275 GTB was the first road-going Ferrari to have an independent rear suspension as well as a rear-mounted transaxle and the car was available starting in 1965 as the 275 GTB Coupe and the 275 GTS Convertible, the latter having entirely different bodywork from the Coupe. The GTBs typically had 280-horsepower motors, while the convertibles delivered 260-horsepower. A six-carb 300-horsepower state-of-tune was available in both cars as well. Ferrari also manufactured two special versions of the 275, The first variant on the theme was the 275 GTBC, which was a competition version of the coupe. Approximately 11 were built, and these all had dry sumps, a higher state of tune, a strengthened chassis, and aluminum bodywork. The second special was the 275 GTS4 NART Spider, of which nine were built. Commissioned by Luigi Canetti Jr., the NART Spiders differed from the standard Ferrari 275 GTSs in that they shared most of the coachwork and lines of the 275 GTB4 Coupe as well as the 4-cam motor normally associated with that car. All of the Ferrari 275s are mouth-watering collector items. However, these stunning NART Spiders continue to create frenzies whenever they appear at show or auction. Now, the 275 GTBs range from $2 million to $30 million for one of the NART Spiders. And ironically, there's a NART Spider here in Cincinnati as well we got a lot of car stuff going on here. Okay, so those are the ones I wanted to kind of give an overview. Those are the big blue chip cars. I'll mention some other ones here, including the 330 and some of the earlier cars that are not necessarily million-dollar cars, but I'll, I'll give you some fun stats about them. Now, the overall market trend, when I'm looking at Haggerty's database, I kind of broke it up into how it has it done the last year, over the last three years, over the last five years, Over the last 10 years, and then for the entire time that it's been in the database, which was from September of 2006. Now, I also correlate it to the 2015 September high, which is when the collector car marketplace peaked, and it's pretty much been downhill ever since. So now, Ferraris as a whole—now, this is every single Ferrari, every model— in Haggerty's database from 1954 I think to 1969 since 2006 from when Haggerty started tracking the value trends they're up 410.6 percent so if you bought a Ferrari in 2006 you uh you made some money on that car ironically they're still down from the peak of September of 2015 as a whole there's a couple exceptions here Now, the value of all these Ferraris as a whole has continued to soften over the last five, three, and one-year timeframes. So over the last five years, it's been down 8.8%. Over the last three years, it's been down 7.9%, so gained about a percent back. And then over the last year, it's only down 2.7%. So I expect the trend for Ferraris to start going back up. It's definitely slowed tremendously. I mentioned the peak of the collector car market was In September of 2015, but Ferraris peaked in January of 2019, so their peak was delayed by two and a half years, which is pretty interesting from the overall market. Now, this was driven by a handful of cars, so the mighty GTOs I mentioned peaked around September of 2018 and stayed at the high point till January of 2019, as well as the 330 LMB and the 250 LM. Now, the 250 California Spiders, which are, in my mind, the most gorgeous car ever built, they peaked in late 2017 and remained at that level uh, for the rest of the time frame. Now, the Ferrari that peaked the earliest was the 1959 Ferrari 250 GT open headlight car. It peaked in May of 2014 at $5.6 million. It continued to decline after that, but then came back up to $5.6 million in 2019, and it's down again the latest three months. The 1957 and 1958 Super Americas were the next ones to peak, as well as some of the 250 GTs by January of 2014. Now, there are a few Ferrari outliers that outperformed the collector car market, so this is pretty interesting. They did not follow all all of the negative trends of the overall collector car market. Now, here's a list of cars that are up when you compare them to the peak of the collector car market in September of 2015. It's basically the early Europa Cabriolets, so that's 1954 to 1955. Those are up. And then basically all of the California Spiders, the long wheelbase, the short wheelbase, the open headlight, the closed headlight, the alloy, the regular, those are all up since the market high of 2015. Now there are a few more that have never decreased in value over the timeframes I mentioned. So these are just a handful of Ferraris that have bucked the trend of the overall collector car market and remained positive throughout the last 10 years, 15 years. This includes the 1958 400 Superfast Series 3, the 1961-1962 California short wheelbase, as I mentioned before, the 250 GTO, as well as the 250 LM. Now, the top 25 cars in 2011 and 2021, so this is a 10-year span based on dollars, consists of GTOs, Tesserosas, Narts, Tour de France, LM's, California Spires, and the alloy 250 GT short wheelbase cars. So basically, all your high-dollar cars remained high dollar cars over that 10 year time frame. There weren't a lot of changes. There wasn't some that went dramatically down. There weren't some that went dramatically up. But there are some interesting things to note here. So the fastest gainers by the percentage of valuation increases over the last 10 years include, so basically these are the cars that have increased the most from a percentage basis over the last 10 years. So again, it goes to the 250 California short wheelbase cars up 213%. And ironically, some of the lower-priced cars, a lot of the 250 GTEs and the 330 GTSs, uh, they are up about 200% over the last 10 years. Probably the biggest from a dollar perspective is the Ferrari California short wheelbase alloy spider cars. They went from $7.5 million in 2011 to $23.5 million in January of 2021. Now, some of these cars were slower to increase in value over the last 10 years. So here's a few of the slower gainers over the last 10 years. So the Tour de France, as I mentioned before, uh, it went from 5.5 million to 7.8 million, so about 41% increase. It's basically a lot of the mid price point cars, you got the 1968, 365 GTB4 Daytona Cut Spider, so that's the Daytona that was converted into a convertible after the fact, up 43.5%. Some of the 275 GTB4s are up about 78%, so they're up a lot over the last 10 years. They're just not up the 200% like some of the other cars have been. Now, I also wanted to look at, well, if I rank them one, to whatever, uh, all these cars, which ones moved up the most from a ranking perspective so it's not strictly a percentage perspective it's also a ranking perspective so when looking at this you know which one went from being number 10 in value to number four in value you know it, it moved up six spots the europa cabriolet that i've mentioned a few times already that actually went up 18 spots and went from number 71 to number 53 over the last 10 years basically going from 1.1 million to 3.5 million dollars that's a big change. The California long wheelbase open headlight Spider went from 3.7 million up to 10.5 over the last 10 years, so that's almost a 200% increase. So some pretty crazy numbers there. It actually went up 12 spots in the rankings. A lot of the 330 GTSs, some of the quote-unquote lower price cars, cars went up quite a bit. So it's the kind of thing that if you can't afford the 250s, the GTOs, you know, you go for the next level down. So these cars went from 860 thousand dollars. 2.5 million dollars in 10 years, almost a 200% increase. So a lot of interesting things happening out there in the Ferrari marketplace. And then the last thing I wanted to do is I wanted to look at kind of by model, uh, how are the GTOs doing versus the Testarossas? How are the Californias doing against? the GTBs. And so I kind of looked at it based on every year, which model increased in value the most or or decreased in value the least over the last year, three years, five years, 10 years, and just overall. So the car that increased the most in the last year, which is interesting, is the 275 GTB as a whole. Uh, There were a lot of cars that were flat, the GTOs, the Testarossa, the 330 California, the 330 GTS, the 365 California. And all the 365 cars, the GT, the GTB, and the GTS, all those were flat over the last year. And then after that, you come into cars that have declined over the last year in valuations. But that's not necessarily a bad thing. That just means that it declined. they were declining slower than they had versus 3, 5, 10 years ago. The one that actually declined the most in value over the last year was the Tour de France, down 6.6%. Next in line was the 330 GT, down 5.4%, and then the 330 GTC. So that's what happened in the in the last one year. When we look at the last three years, it's changed quite a bit. The GTO is the big winner, up 4.6%, and that was actually the only car of the last three years that has actually increased in value. Every other car from a, a model type has decreased. The second one was the 250 LM, down 2.4%. And then all the way down at the bottom, again, is the 250 Tour de France, down 26.9% over the last three years. And then when we look at the last five years, we have two cars that are in the top spot up positive over the last five years. The 250 LM is up 3%. The 250 California is up 2.3%. Then everything else is negative. The 250 GTO was down 5% over the last five years. Uh, the 250TR was down, the Testarossa down 6.4. And the ones that really got hit hard uh, over the last five years was the 275GTB down 35%, the 330GTC 330 down 33.4. Basically, if it ends in a GTB, a GTS, or a GTC or a GT, it was down 20 to 30%. So you might wonder, well, how is it down double digits five years ago but only down single digits a year over the last year? Well, basically, it just shows that the trends are slowing. So hopefully a year from now, maybe they're flat, and maybe two years from now, they're actually positive when you look at the valuations of these cars. Now, looking at the 10-year mark, everything has grown over the last 10 years. So the 250 LM is up 253%. Pretty much every model is up 76% to 253%. So if you were looking at a Ferrari as an investment, It's not a bad one because they definitely have performed over the last number of years. So this is a deep dive into Ferrari numbers. I hope you enjoyed it. If there's something you would like to see me do that I haven't done before or I did in a previous podcast, you would like to see me do it again. Please let me know. I like doing these deep dives to figure out what cars are moving within the marketplace, either positive or negative. It helps me dig into these cars where I get to know them a little bit more. And I will be at Cavalino Classic in West Palm Beach in two weeks which is the big Ferrari show. So that's one of the reasons I wanted to do this podcast, so I could dig deep into some Ferrari data so that I will know what I'm looking at, and then I will have a little bit of knowledge as far as how they are performing in the marketplace from a collector car standpoint. So as always, I appreciate you listening. Please shoot me a note. We have a lot of cool things coming up. I guess I should have mentioned that at the beginning of the podcast. Let's see if I can find my notes here. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Wayne Carini was on a couple weeks ago. If you haven't listened to that one, please do so. And then his sales manager, Mike Roberts, was on after that last week. And coming up in May, I will be a guest on Matt Ferris, The Smoking Tire. And then he will be a guest on my podcast, Sharing His Ultimate Garage, where I will hold him to 10 cars that he can put into his ultimate garage. I have some other cool guests coming up in the next couple months. Uh, So hopefully you'll be entertained and if you have any ideas, please let me know. Thank you for you, those of you that have sent me some ideas uh, through DM, direct messaging. One of them, which I thought was brilliant, was basically, "What factory race cars are valuable nowadays?" Which is a great question because when you think about factory race cars, they were trash. Let's talk about the Ferrari GTO. People didn't care about those cars when they were done racing. You could buy them for two, three, four, five thousand dollars. Now they're worth 40, 50, 60 million dollars. But then, what's happening with today's race cars. Will there be a market for them in the future? Now what's interesting, a lot of that depends on the usability of the car, the rarity of the car. I've noticed a lot of NASCARs are selling at auction nowadays. And you know, I'm not sure I need to look into it. I think there's some type of NASCAR racing series. So if there's a racing series to support these cars to where you can actually use them and drive them and have fun with them that adds value to the car. So that will take me a while to get that one done because I'm just not familiar with the racing world. I've asked, reached out to a couple racers to be my resources and my guests. So uh, hopefully we'll have that one up in the future. And if you still would like to submit your car for me to appraise, uh, please shoot it to me at gstanley at And as always, thank you for your time. And I will talk to all of you